welcome to Playing for the Master, a podcast on theater, faith, culture, and other shenanigans. Okay. Well, this is the... Uh, possibly... Maybe... It's sort of... Official podcast... For Unmuted Arts... And Master Arts Theater. So welcome to another episode of Playing for the Master. I'm Tim. I'm John. And we're excited because we've got a couple of cool things to talk about today. First, um, as many of you know, or if you didn't, you're going to find out, John is the executive director of Unmuted. And in the midst of this crazy pandemic world we live in, there's been a lot of uncertainty about both Master Arts and Unmuted and what they were happening so today, to start off, we're going to get a little update from John about what's going on with Unmuted. So why don't you tell us what's happening, where you're at? There was, there was a lot of prayer about what was going to be happening with Unmuted. And as Tim said, some uncertainty. I'm trying not to give too many things away so you guys just have like a, a whetted appetite, but not a stuffed belly. This is like um, an Unmuted teaser. And it's a teaser. Cue the trailer music. So I was praying and I had, I like created this flowchart and I was like, Lord, these are my options and they're all pretty dour and I'm assuming something dour is going to happen, but if you want something amazing to happen, then let something amazing happen. And I was on vacation and all of a sudden I got enough coaches to potentially do uh, some pieces and I was like, wow. And then some things just all came together in a day. Keep your eyes peeled basically um, for some potential online stuff, uh, some potential live stuff next year. Uh, we're going to be announcing that stuff at the end of September. Now, um, are you still looking for performers as well for some of these pieces coming up? They are good. Yes, we're going to be uh, bringing, we're going to be announcing that as well. Uh, in the- <clears throat> so we're starting a new podcast series. Yes, we're very excited about this topic. And originally it was going to be like a one episode thing. Mm-hmm. But the more that you and I talked about it and the more people that we started to think about who mm-hmm. could speak to this issue from a very educated and informed place, it's kind of starting to take on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. So you want to tell them what, what this series is going to be? Yes. So it's going to be on theology and theater, which if you know Tim and I, that's like those are like our two big things. Um, they've been things just throughout both of our lives we've wrestled with. My high school, like, senior speech was all about that. Um, and so it's just something that we find interesting and exciting and very important as artists. And so we were like, what if we got people who actually know what they're talking about to talk about this? <laughs> Absolutely. Of, um, and since both Unmuted and Master Arts are kind of the culmination of doing theater, and doing theater in a way that reflects our belief in God and our following of him and how important that is to the to us, we felt like this podcast was a natural place to really do that exploration mm-hmm. and have these conversations with people that we admire, um, that have a way, a lot more knowledge than <laughs> John or I have uh-huh. about theology uh, specifically, but also people who, you know, we're going to be talking to people who are very, very well educated in theology, but also have had time on the stage and have been performers. So they get this intersection between the two. But I wasn't there, but Tim has a fantastic conversation with Craig Appel, who's been a pastor for, 
I think longer than I've been alive, I'm pretty sure. Um, but he has, he has so much knowledge artistically and theologically. And so I'm really excited to hear that, and I hope that you guys are too. So here's our first episode in Theology and Theater, our ongoing series looking at this with Craig Appel. So I yep. am here with Craig Appel, and we are sitting out on the street side in Holland on an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful day. So I'm, you may hear some sounds of traffic and things behind us. Well, just enjoy that like we're enjoying that. So... Craig, I realized before I sat down with you today that we haven't really done a show together yet. No, I don't think we have. <laughs> We've done some like audio things where mm -hmm. we're both a part of it, but I, I realized I'm like, oh, he's one of the few that I haven't actually been on stage with. Yeah, so, and I, I'm looking forward to the day where I can do that. So that's I a goal, that's a bucket come. list thing. So first, um, we're going to be talking about theology and theater today. And just so uh, people can get a little bit of an understanding about why we're talking to you, mm -hmm. um, could you give us a little bit of your background, both as a pastor mm -hmm. and as a performer? Sure. I was in pastoral ministry for 45 years, retired. I don't like the word retired. I tell people <laughs> retired means tired again. <laughs> I wasn't tired the first time, but I stepped down from pastoral ministry about four years ago. Still very involved in a kind of eclectic kind of yeah, I see you kind of ministry. preaching all over the place. Uh, I, get a, I do a lot of pulpit supply and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's that's my um, occupational background, if if you will. I've had a strong passion for the Word of God and the Gospel and the Lord's people. My involvement with Master Arts um, started... John and Pris McDonald were part of my congregation in Muskegon. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I knew of Master Arts. I don't think at that point I had even attended anything that Master Arts had done. Mm -hmm. But Chris came up to me one Sunday and uh, they were getting ready to cast a play called Lamp at Midnight. Mm -hmm. That was the story of Galileo's conflict with the church. And um, she asked if I would be interested in auditioning for that. And I thought it over and thought, well, you know, that could, that could kind of be fun. Um, I had a friend who, a pastoral friend who was going to be in the play. He was auditioning. And I thought, yeah, I'll give that a shot. I auditioned and uh, got a role in the play. And that's what hooked me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hadn't done any theater since high school um, and not a lot back then. So um, that really uh, is, is what connected me to Master Arts. And I've just, I've just loved the whole philosophy of of ministry and uh, the kind of things Master Art does ever since. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. so tell us a little bit about now that once Pris got you hooked, but she's done that to <laughs> <She's>, so many <laughs> people. She's a master at that. But I love how she, uh, she'll say, would you like to? It's like, let me think about it. If you say, let me yep. think about it, you may have well just said yes, <laughs> exactly. because you are in. As a matter of fact, I know people who every time they see that she's calling, they wonder if they should answer the phone. <laughs> But it always ends up being good. It is. It's always good. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about some of the roles that you've played and oh. maybe which one which were your favorite ones. Well that's that's a hard one for me because I've I've loved virtually everything I've been involved in. Mm -hmm. um, the first role was in Lamp at Midnight and I got to play Galileo, which mm. um, which was, was wonderful. Um, Talk about hitting a home run the first time. Well, out. yeah, uh, Smoke on the Mountain, that trilogy of plays. Mm -hmm. I was um, Stanley in those, 
Stanley was kind of, you don't know a whole lot about his background. He had been in prison. You don't know exactly why. Um, the implication is he had been in a bar fight or something. But, mm. but he was involved with this family that went around down south doing Saturday night sings in little country churches, gospel sings. Mm-hmm. And that was such a blast. That was just, oh, that was so much fun. Um, I got to be Smaug in The Hobbit, mm. um, the dragon. Um, wasn't a big big role, but what can be better than breathing fire and eating people? Exactly. <laughs> How many uh, people can say they were a dragon? <laughs> really? Uh, I played Handel. Yep, played Handel in Joyful Noise, which was a, was a great play. Um, I played Job in the Book of Job, which mm. I think was the hardest thing I've, I've ever done. <laughs> theater-wise. Yeah. As far as which one I like best, I don't know. That's that's hard. I love them all. Some of them more challenging than others. And Job is almost, because it uses the King James Bible, yeah. almost Shakespearean in its language. Almost, yeah. So that combined with the endless hours in the makeup chair. Yeah. Well, uh, we would joke, but it's no joke that it took longer to put the makeup on than it did to do the play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, Job was exhausting. Um, emotionally exhausting because the role is of a man who's going through the most unimaginable tragedies mm-hmm. and to try and portray that with any sense of feeling I just found that was a very exhausting play yeah. um, I think it was very powerful in many ways But so I, I just enjoyed every opportunity I've had with Master Arts I do love it when you get an opportunity kind of like you and I are doing with this virtual um, become new performance of yeah. performing scripture yeah, it, there's it, so much drama. There is that people don't realize that that there's so much life and energy yeah. and drama and conflict and yeah. all the emotions that people expect when they come to the theater. Sure, they're all there. So I love it when we get an opportunity to portray scripture, especially when we can we can do actual scripture. Well, so much of scripture is stories. Mm-hmm. It's stories, you yeah. know, and those are what capture people's minds and and hearts. Um, so. <sighs> You know, it's one thing to silently sit and read something yourself and take something in that way, but to have it read to you, but then to see it actually perform just deepens the experience in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a, that's an exciting thing, I think. So that kind of leads us to our next question, which has been kind of uh, just a passion for me, and I, I'm pretty sure it is for you as well, is combining those two mm-hmm. Um you know, theology and theater, mm-hmm. which a lot of people, and I, um, many years ago, was equally so, are, are very intimidated by the word theology. Yeah. Because yeah. it kind of brings forth this image of these, you know, deep scholars and <laughs> in these ivory yeah, towers right. and pouring <laughs> over the word, like, almost like the mystics of old, mm-hmm. you know. But I know in my experience, I found that it's much more, it's much more personal. Yes. And it's much Should more be. applicable mm-hmm. to even two guys sitting on a street corner sure. and talking. Sure. So what has theology meant to you? I mean, obviously, as a pastor, you probably have a, a deeper relationship with that idea of theology than most workaday people who aren't in ministry. Yeah. Um, so what is it to you, and how has the study of the Word affected your life and more personally, your own, your own walk in relationship with Jesus. The word theology literally means the study of God. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I have a friend who, you know, somebody will ask him, well, what do you do? And he says, I study God. Mm. <laughs> you know, he's a pastor, and that's the term he uses. I study mm. God, and that often generates a conversation. But I have a phrase that I've often used um, in ministry, that everything is theology. Mm. Everything is theology. Everything is affected by how I understand God, who I understand him to be, what I understand his his will to be for my life. And I've also said, and I think it's true, that everybody is a theologian. Everybody has a belief concerning God, even if they don't think he exists. And that affects, then, how I live my life. So I believe literally everything is theology. How I spend my money, uh, how I spend my time, the kinds of things I read, the words I speak, everything should be governed by my relationship with God. Not necessarily consciously, you know, where I sit and say, okay, I want to make sure the next couple of words I say are going to be honoring to God. Right. But as I come to know him and know him better and love him more, that affects then how I live in all these areas of my life. Mm. And I think that's what the Christian life is intended to be. Um, not a list of rules and regulations, but a relationship with God that just filters into everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally paralleling with you, especially after... You and I just went through, for a podcast, Pilgrim's Progress. Yes. And I was fascinated because I realized I had read edited or paraphrased versions of this story. Yeah. And uh, the script that they did was the Mm -hmm. original. Yeah. So a lot of language challenges mm-hmm. and it was really interesting how many times during the recordings we had to stop and go back and <laughs> yep. you know, even though people it was very obvious people had studied and, and read and yeah. um, but what kind of uh, impressed me and challenged me about reading through Pilgrim's Progress was it was almost blatant theology and putting it into this allegory which really talked about what you just said. It's like, how is our relationship with God affecting the everyday choices we make on our journey? Every mm-hmm. day? Yep. And I have to say, some of it, I really was like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there were other parts that I was like, hmm, yeah. I really need to look into Makes this a little think. bit more because yep. I'm not really certain if that's, yep. that's how... Mm-hmm. I, I connect with the Lord in the same way. So you had devoted your life to pastoral work. And then these opportunities for theater come along. And uh, I'm curious if you found, like me, a greater connection between those two, what seemed to the world as very disparate places. Yeah. You know, being an actor and being a performer. Yeah. But then also being a follower of God and, and um, someone who wants to honor Christ and not only honor them, but also devote you've devoted your life yeah. to sharing the good news with people. So I'm curious to see how having had years of pastoral ministry and years of theatrical experience now, what are the connections you see between the two and how being a theologian has affected you as a performer Hmm. and how being a performer has affected how you pastor? Wow. Big question. It is a big question. (laughs) I think it's a great question. Um, It may be hard for me to really put it into words, but um, Jesus constantly told stories. 
he um, he ministered in a time uh, when scriptures were not available to people to have for themselves. Um, when even if they did have them, most of them probably couldn't read. And so stories were a way that captured their hearts and their minds. Uh, we live in a day when uh, scriptures are readily available and people can read, but they don't. <laughs> right. so know, what's, true. what's the difference between a person who, who can't read and a person who can read and doesn't? Well, not a whole lot of difference there. <laughs> right. And we live in this age when, when communicating biblical values and biblical truth to people um, needs to take more than just the the monologue of preaching. Huh? Um, the more ways we can come at it and present it to people, the more likely they're going to pick up on it. And that's one thing I've appreciated about Master Arts. Not every play has a um, a blatant biblical message, <laughs> right? But but there are virtually in everything Master Arts does, there are truths there that rise to the surface, that cause people to think biblical values. And, and uh, so to me, that's extremely uh, worthwhile to be able to capture people's minds and attentions with, with biblical truth without necessarily ha- their feeling like they're being preached at. Right, right. Well, and I, I, I agree that very much like Jesus, you're going to capture people's attention and speak more to who they are and where they live mm-hmm. with a story that they can connect with yep. than just telling them, you know, love your neighbor. Yep. And he would say love your neighbor, but then he would do two things. He would like tell a story sure. that gave a real concrete example yeah. that was very challenging. Yes. A good Samaritan. How, oh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know. How to love your neighbor. And yeah, like, that's not easy. <laughs> a story that I think probably shocked most of the people that heard it. Exactly. You know, and yet it would cause them to stop and to think, okay, who am I in this story? You know, mm-hmm. what would I do? Um, powerful stuff. And, you know, I, I look at different scripts, and that's, I also love Master Arts, and I love the fact that Chris and the play selection team are willing to choose some that maybe have been done at secular theaters Uh time and time again Mm -hmm. but they find something in that story that communicates something that God desperately wants us to understand about himself Mm -hmm. and they bring that forward I'm curious to see if you view performing in theater as a personal act of worship you know, <laughs> what rises immediately to the to the surface of my thinking is the fact that Scripture says that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. You know, the most mundane things of life, sitting here and drinking a cup of coffee, right. it says I'm to do this to the glory of God. Um, yet I didn't think about that when I bought my coffee and when I sat down here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to say, yeah, it should be an act of worship. Um Worth, our word worship comes from the old English worthship. It talks about that which we count to be most valuable, most worthy, and so certainly at the top of that list should be should be God. I want to worship Him in everything in everything that I do. I, I guess the idea of doing theater as a personal act of worship it's it's there, at least in the back of my mind, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we pray before every rehearsal. We pray before every performance. Yeah. You know, we pray that the message would come through clearly, that God would use it. And so that's, that's uh, very much part of what Master Arts does. Whether I consciously, when I'm out there on stage, no, I, I can't say that I do. Think of it as being an act of worship. Mm-hmm. No, but, but again, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think consciously that buying a cup of coffee and sitting here talking to you this morning mm-hmm. should be an act of worship. But I hope it is. Yeah. I hope my, the worth that I place upon God underlies all of this. Yeah. So, yeah, do I think of it that way? Not necessarily. Well, yeah, I do intellectually, right. but not moment by moment. <laughs> well, I, ideally, I think that's, that's the goal. Yeah, sure. Is where we're living a life where God can help us through struggles, give us things that please us and yeah, him. sure. Where the nature of our lives is unconsciously valuable mm-hmm. because it's in connection with God. And it, it just, it permeates everything. You yeah. know, it, it's who we are. We have become new creations, the Bible says, in Christ. And that begins to live itself out and show itself as we progress in our faith. It kind yeah. of goes back to what you said at the beginning, that the study of God is really the study of everything around sure. us. Everything is theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a... Uh, I've noticed you kind of gravitate, and maybe it's because of your interest in the Word of God. You you kind of gravitate, or maybe it's because Pris understands who you are, <laughs> towards those plays and scripts that do more directly deal with God, His Word, yeah. our relationship with God. And that may be more more about the casting directors and their understanding of you than than well, your choice, perhaps. Um, no, I, I'm I'm picky, I guess, especially when I was still in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, committing yourself to do a play is commitment to a huge block of time. Oh yeah, and so a lot of people don't realize no, it's like uh, six to eight weeks of three to four nights. Oh a week, yeah, you, you know, know especially and, if you're in a lead role. That's so, a big commitment. So to choose to do something like that. I always wanted to make sure it was something that I really saw as being valuable and, you know, and really spoke to my own heart. So, yeah, I think I did tend to pick and to choose the, well, I'm sure I did, to pick and to choose the plays I auditioned for. The only one that Pris really encouraged me to to, uh, to try was, uh, was Lamp at Midnight. Um, but after that, I kind of selectively, you know, so oh, this is coming up. That might be... Uh, that might be interesting, you know. It's good to know that you I was. Were oh yeah, I was. I was. I have to tell you, I was terribly disappointed though. Um, um, I auditioned for Fiddler on the Roof, and Walt Riger got the part. <laughs> and I haven't quite forgiven him yet, <laughs> but he did a marvelous job. Oh, he did. oh his job of Tevye was so good. Uh, I love that play the way Master Arts did it. Well, <laughs> Walt, and, you did and, well. And you got, if you talk about the the kind of the cast of normal characters at Master Arts, about the two people who kind of had that Tevye look yeah. are you and Walt Riggler. But boy, a bunch of people showed up to audition for that play. I mm-hmm. was floored by how many people were there. Well, it was a part great of production. it is, you know, how many, how many, this is going to be terrible to say, <laughs> but you and I are both kind of there. How many middle-aged or older <laughs> leading man parts are there out there? Yeah, really. And, you know, and I figured, I figured, you know, Walt's younger than me. He'd get another shot at it, but that was my shot. <laughs> he took it. <laughs> 
Darn Walt. <laughs> yeah, really. You're have to have oh, but I couldn't have. I couldn't have compared to what he did. He did a fantastic job. Yeah, Love that it. was a, such a great show. Yeah, it and, was. Uh, man, the him, him and Brenda and yes. the chemistry. Yes. Which obviously yes. has played itself out <laughs> in the real world. Um, uh-huh. Just made for an amazing relationship yeah. to watch yeah. on stage. So good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm interested to find out if you see your involvement in theater and being a, a pastor or a preacher, do you find that they've been complementary to each other? Are there things that you've learned from doing theater that have kind of affected the way you preach and, and vice versa? Um, I, I'm sure they're complementary to each other. I don't know that one has necessarily fed the other too much. As a, as a preacher, I, I, um, as a pastor... I enjoyed listening to other good preaching and teaching. And a huge part of, of the enjoyment or the ability to take that in is, um, is the delivery of, of the truth that's being taught. And I've always been very conscious in... I, I have a bad habit that I developed uh, early on in my ministry. They tell you you sh- shouldn't do it really, but I've always done it. And um, and that is, I preach from a full manuscript. I write out my sermons, mm, mm-hmm. and they tell you you shouldn't do that because then you become welded to the you know to the. Well, I'm not welded to what I've written. I vary from it. I you know as I'm preaching it, I leave parts out. I bring things in, but to me, words are very important. The sound of words, words interacting with each other. Some words yeah. work better than others do. Um, the tone of voice that, you know, at different points, raising and lowering it and, and emphasis. Um, and that's all drama. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean it in a, in a flippant way, but in good communication, I think there's always some drama involved. It's not just a flat, monotone, everything is the same yeah. value. And certainly that's, you know, with theater, um, good communication in theater, there's... Yeah, the, the words are are expressed uh, in with variance, and, and uh, so the two complement each other definitely. Yeah. I don't look at preaching as a as a theatrical production, but there's definitely a dimension of of drama to it. Yeah. Um, there should be. I think there should be. I listen to some preachers. <laughs> My wife gets upset with me. I I listen to preachers on TV, and I'll criticize. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm here? Oh, that was really good. Or this guy? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Well, we all, <laughs> we all do that. You know, the shoemaker looks at everybody's shoes and sees what they're wearing. And <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and you you look at people's acting and say, "Oh, come on!" Yep. <laughs> or "Wow, that was great." How, like I was primarily a worship pastor, so I'm like, "Okay, is this person in? Are they connecting with the worship? Are they, yeah. you know, getting? You know, because I feel I I always felt like." As a worship pastor, my job was to create an atmosphere where two things could happen. One, that people could like lay aside the struggles of their lives yep. and connect with the Lord through worship. Absolutely. But then also lay the foundation for what the pastor was going to bring. Yes. And um, I, I, I get critical when I, see, when I see a worship set or songs chosen for a service that have absolutely no connection mm-hmm. to what yep. the pra- pastor is preaching. Yeah. Come on, it's not that hard. Yeah. There's Why so did you much wonderful music yeah. out there that can that yeah. can emphasize and, and put, you know. Yep. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I, 
probably am a little too critical <laughs> in that area. But so I did want to talk to you about the Book of Job a little bit and okay. and performing Job. Um, I think that's probably for the master arts faithful. That's the one where they know you the most. Oh, maybe. Um, at least when I hear people talk yeah, about okay. Craig Appel, it's like, oh, he played Job. That's the first thing they say. Okay. But I wanted to ask you about that role and your preparation for that role simply because a lot of what Job went through and a lot of the emotions that he felt yeah. are really close to the surface for a lot of people sure. during this difficult time. Sure. You know, there's a lot of a lot of challenges and yeah. a lot of unforeseen challenges. Yep. You know, people people are being affected in ways that they would not have expected. Yeah. Which I know for me, um, in, in my church and, and now my connection with the thing has kinda of led me to the Psalms. Mm. And the Psalms are like very expressive oh, yeah. in some of those challenging emotions. And I remember watching you in that part and watching you have to deal with these long monologues mm -hmm. of just depression, really, mm -hmm. um, and real mental anguish, mm -hmm. and the way he was reacting to what the world had given him. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I know that I, as an actor, really get into the characters I portray. Mm -hmm. And by the time I, I come to a performance, a lot of times I end up feeling what they're feeling and have to deal with some of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if, if that happened with you. Yeah. And if some of the things that you learned performing Job are things that you feel could be lessons for us in the middle of this crazy, tumultuous time that we're in. Yeah. One of the things um, I've heard Pris say often... Yeah. And she said to me specifically in in uh, rehearsing for Job, is I haven't experienced the same tragedies Job experienced in his life, right. where he lost all of his children in one day. Thank goodness. All, yeah, and all of his <laughs> livelihood was yeah. taken away in one day, and his body covered from head to foot with boils. I haven't endured any of that. But she said that what I needed to do was to call up from my experience events as close to <laughs> that kind of suffering as I, as I could relate to, things that I had experienced and to get that picture in my mind so it wouldn't just be reciting words, but there would be some emotion yeah. involved in it. And I said before, I, I said Job was exhausting. I think that's one reason for it. Um, another reason was the language. I don't feel I, I, I don't feel like I achieved well the the um, emotion that should be there in that role. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you do it, you know, without going through that depth of of suffering that he went through. I mean, we all suffer in various ways, but to bring to the the, the role that kind so so it affected me yeah for sure um, but it was it was a difficult role to play for me I think the theological truths um, that are found in the book of Job not just the play but in the in the story itself are are, 
are so important for us to get our minds around um, in this day and age in which we're living with all of the all of the junk we're going through. Um, nothing happened in Job's life that God did not permit. Nothing. Um, God allowed Satan to strike Job in various ways, but God set limitations upon it. And I think that's so important for us to remember, is that, you know, the fact that someone is suffering, that I'm suffering at a particular moment with some issue, um, doesn't mean God has forgotten me. It doesn't mean this just happened and God is up there wringing his hands and saying, oh no, now what do I do, you know? But, um, but that God has permitted this for some reason. And Job throughout that play is crying out to God, answer me, tell me what's going on, tell me why. And God never does. In fact, what the best answer that, that God gives him is at the, towards the end of the book and the play, as God is describing, um, God says to Job, in essence, he says, all right, you've been asking me a lot of questions. Now you sit down and I'll ask you a few. You know, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? And, you know, and God goes through all of these questions to Job. And in essence, that's God's answer to him is I'm God and you're not. And you're not expected. You can't expect to understand these things, but know who I am. And to me, that's so important um, in times of stress and trouble. We're not going to have answers necessarily in this life as to why suffering comes, why God permits it. Yeah. Um, but know who he is. Know who he is. Um, rest in the fact that, that he is present, he is at work, he loves you no matter how difficult this situation is. To me, that's the, that's the essence of the book of Job. That's the story yeah. there. Which, man, we really need that now. Oh, we really need oh that yeah. That now. And we've always needed it because every life goes through some tragedies, you know, and, and it's, it's our human nature to say, all right, God, what are you doing? You know, why did you allow this? Um, do you really love me? And um, we need to have that settled before those events come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then we can look back on those events. And I always love looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. Because I feel like a lot of times when we go through suffering, it's so hard. It's sure. hard. so hard because our emo- we're so tied up with our emotions. Oh, yeah. But then when we get a little distance from it, mm-hmm. it's easier to see God's hand in yes. things. Yes, it and is. And easier to see that he never abandons us. Mm-hmm. He's there the whole time. Yep. But we just, unfortunately, <laughs> blind ourselves. Uh, well, and often. he blinds us too. That's he true. doesn't let us see what he's doing. Sometimes we couldn't handle it. No, I think you're did. right. I, I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. We knew what was coming next. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm going to end on a slightly lighter note. Only slightly lighter. <laughs> okay. Because, um, oh, yep. and this is co- something kind of personal, because I knew that it was really important for us at Master Arts to do the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, because it's such a phenomenal work that speaks, speech, that speaks across ages, across cultures, um, and it shows a lot of the truths uh, of Christ. Sure. Um, and you were Aslan in the production, and it was a beautiful production. With an amazingly diverse cast, which brought some challenges of its own. Sure. And to be honest, an absolutely terrible script. Yes. 
But it was, it was the only <laughs> script of that story that was available oh, to us here in the United States. Yeah. So I, and, when, and, I, when I agreed that I'd like to be part of that, I hadn't seen the script. Oh. And then when I saw the script, I thought, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, uh, you know, I've directed that show a couple of times at other theaters, and, and I was very, very passionate to do it here. And, and, and the play selection committee was like, this script doesn't have any of the good things of, of Lewis's story. You know, no. I'm like, that's true, it doesn't. But we can make it work. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, because, like, especially Aslan's dialogue in that show, I mean, I go back to Lewis's story. And Aslan has these unbelievably deep and profound... Lewis was a master of doing this very simple phrase. Like, for example, um, when they're talking about Aslan and and when they say, is he safe? No, but he's good. Yes. Um, You know, Lewis was a master Mm -hmm. of putting unbelievable theology in the most... I mean, in a, a way that you remember sentence. it. Yeah. But I mean, it catches you, you know? And then you get yeah. the script, which, to be fair, uh, does not do justice yeah. to Lewis's work. But at the same time, and I, I've, encou- I've encountered this directing the show a couple of times, and I wasn't involved in the one you were doing. Mm-hmm. I think if you bring, if you bring actors... And you walk them through the spirit of what Lewis was trying to do, that can affect their performance. So even though the dialogue is not nearly as powerful as, as what Lewis wrote, you can bring across the idea. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask, first of all, how big of a challenge was it for you to go from understanding Lewis's story mm-hmm. to having to take these words that were so obviously not Lewis, but yet bring that spirit of your understanding of what Lewis was trying to do with Aslan to the stage because I think you did it amazingly well and I think uh, through the challenges of that production I think the production did it very very well too Um, so I'd like to hear your thoughts about that a little bit yeah I was of course acquainted I'd read the story Mm -hmm. long time ago prior to to being involved in the play. It's difficult for me to answer your question. Um, I think I think perhaps because the, the dialogue was, was weak, that some of the staging of it um, carried, the, carried the story mm-hmm. far more than perhaps the words yeah. that were said. That's very true. Um, that table that they uh, that they built for the resurrection scene, you know, I mean, that was so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, um, and I that I think helped helped carry that that theme and that story through. Um, as far as me personally, uh, I, I don't know how to answer it, Tim. I just don't. Um, I recognize I recognize the weaknesses of the. Of the uh, the script, um, and wondered how it would how it would portray, but I think, as you said, I think it came off uh, fairly well. I think that's that's due to, due to a great um, a great degree to the directing and the and the staging of it. 
Um, the set was very simple. Yeah. Um, and that was but beautiful. I, yeah, I I'm think a, that was good too. Yeah. You know, having people enter in through the wardrobe the themselves the to come into the theater. You know, mm-hmm. um, all of that I think helped set and convey the the story beyond what the weaknesses of the script were. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it, it does. Okay. So okay, we have this what we call the shenanigan question. <laughs> That we end all of our interviews with, and uh, John Wilson, the marvelous John Wilson, came up with this question. So, if you could have any fruit or vegetable-based superpower, fruit or what veg- would it be? Fruit or vegetable-based superpower? I probably should have told you this question ahead of time. Yeah, so you really. Thought about what it. in the world is a fruit or vegetable-based superpower? Um, wow. <laughs> Never thought of vegetables as being heroic. <laughs> uh, maybe we should. We need. Yeah. Well, maybe. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Tell John. I think it's a terrible question. <laughs> I, I guess if I had to, if I had to pick a fruit or vegetable, it would be an apple. And when I think of apples, I think of my mother-in-law's apple pie. She made the best apple pie. My wife tries to do it, follows her recipe, and just something missing still, you know. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a superpower, man. If you know, if, if I could, if I could um, uh, please people in that way, give them something that good um, to bring joy to their lives, like that pie does to me. <laughs> um, that would be awesome. That works for me. Okay. You know, I get happy when I'm eating a half a pie. Oh, so. yeah, but you haven't had hers, man. It's it's incredible. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Craig, oh, thank for you. taking the time today. And, oh, my pleasure. Uh, for my, bringing my me to Holland and, and downtown Holland, which I love to come yeah, down I here. Do so um, we really appreciate it. And I can't I wait like... till we can do shows again because I really oh, need too. to be on stage with you. Me too. Although I find, you know, as I'm getting older now, I find my memory is... is not as sharp as it used to be. You gotta find those good small parts. Yeah, exactly. You know, and no big long monologues, you know. Yeah, and that's just part of aging, you know, so I don't know how long I'll be able to continue, but um, as long as I can um, and do a halfway decent job, it's it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate the time. It's good to be with you. Thank you for listening to Playing for the Master, a co-production of Unmuted Arts and Master Arts Theater, both out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our theme music is Rondo Giocoso, a piece written and performed by Richard Sertia. Our podcast is edited by Tim Van Bruggen. The views expressed by the hosts of this podcast are completely their own and may not reflect those held by the organizations as a whole. If you have any comments or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear discussed, please email them to director at masterarts.org. Thanks for listening.